0: Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Adriana. I'm Sophia. And I'm Juliana. Today, we're bringing you an episode on creation. And our episode was inspired by this year's De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture Fall Conference on creation. You know, we all miss the fall conference so much, like Mm -hmm. basically the highlight of the year at Notre Dame. So to participate in... A very small way with our podcast episode is just such a great joy and gift to us, honestly.
1: Yeah, I love this topic. And speaking about this with you guys today, it feels like a way that God is showing me tenderness. Because when I think back to my journey of faith, one of the very first times, one of the very first experiences of faith that I remember as a young child was seeing God's love for me through creation. Mm Um. It was a time that I was on either a GS vacation or a CL family vacation. And as often happens on these trips, if anyone has been on them, we ended up outside looking up at the night sky, uh, full of stars. And I don't even remember who it was, but somebody told me in that moment that. God would have made all of this, the entire night sky, the entire universe, just for me to see the beauty that night because he loved me. Wow. That was, it might sound silly because I was raised Catholic and going to mass and going to Catholic school, but that was one of the first times I ever knew that God loved me. Mm -hmm. And now... As my husband can attest, it's something I repeat over and over again every time we see something beautiful in creation. It's an occasion to recall and wonder at God's love for me and the way he's drawn me to himself through the beauty of creation. And there's so many aspects of creation that we can talk about. But for me, this is why it's a topic that really moves me and makes me feel God's tenderness and love for me.
2: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's an extraordinary moment, especially to have at such a young age, like educative, really, in giving you a truer gaze on reality. And I mean, it reminds me of what's been happening to me over these last couple of weeks as we've been preparing for this episode, because creation is rarely so Frequent and intense, an aspect of my life of prayer and reflection and conversation. And so I truly have seen my gaze change on the things outside my window, like this really annoying cat that comes to hang out outside my window while I'm praying morning prayer, or like in the field that I walk through on my way to work in the morning, or even my own housemates, my own body. Like this awareness of the givenness of reality is rarely this intense. And I'm really grateful to have had this opportunity
0: yeah your story of creation as a teacher just reminds me of a quote I've been praying with in this in preparation for this episode. and it's really simple, Saint. Bernard of Clairvaux. And he says, "You will find something greater in woods than in the books. Trees and stones will teach you that which you can never learn from masters. Mm-hmm. And it so struck me because in particular in creation, for me, trees, are like such a sacramental aspect of nature. They they always bring me to God, the way they like point upwards and move towards the sun. And I suppose not all trees do that, but the ones in Boise do, (laughs) the changing leaves. And I think of the Sisters of Life and a conversation I had with one of my friends, Sister Grace Dominic, and she was just pointing out the red leaves in fall and how the leaves like come into glory as they die Mm. and that we can see the resurrection in that they're like burning with fire in this red and right now is the fall season as we record so it's again this just like opportunity for me to be invited to see the beauty of giving yourself over freely in death wow and that's a real teacher for us you know like exactly what saint bernard is saying
1: right
2: yeah a teacher because it's a sign of the mystery it's something that calls you further up and further in yeah. something that points beyond itself um not like and this is the image that Justin always uses when he talks about how reality is a sign of god a sign of the mystery not in the sense of like a street sign that points you somewhere else so it's not like looking at the stars now you have to think oh now i think about god no like sign and mystery coincide Mm -hmm. the sign of creation is the mystery because creation participates in the being of god this is why like all of creation cries out telling you of the the fact of the creator the existence of the creator and as julie pointed out like the existence of the creator for you who's giving these things to you who has made this for you and who has made you for you Yeah, so I love the image there of the leaves um, turning color because it's a sign of the mystery.
0: I was really provoked by that too. Sophia, you shared this quote with us just from Giussani, the world unleashes a word, a logos, which sends you further, calls you on to another. Like, yes, it's an entrance point and not something separate, but also not an end in itself. Yeah. Which are both temptations to do with creation.
1: I think in particular, I learned this from the Psalms and from Hmm. praying the Psalms. And they help me see creation with a new gaze. It's full of this realization and deep reflection on all of creation in front of God. And God and creation is in this eternal relationship. And we hear all these beautiful phrases like the mountains melting before the face of the Lord and the hills leaping. and. All of creation, not just joining in one voice to praise him and to worship him, but also being subject to him and and truly held in the palm of his hand. Maybe it's part of modern day society, but we really have our eye, especially, have lost that gaze on creation. It's so much easier to look at as something to be understood or something to be used, to mm-hmm. be utilized, to be made productive, and and I've lost this sense of the mystery and this sense of this back and forth, this dialogue between creation and its creator.
2: Yeah, and therefore also the distinctive place of the human person within creation. Yeah, Like you said, all of creation crying out the praise of the creator, but really, who can articulate that praise but us? We are the only part mm-hmm. of creation that has freedom. And this is why we're the greatest, in a sense, the culmination, the pinnacle of creation. It's because we are the only ones who can use our freedom to say, you, you, to this mystery of being, who is giving life and continuing to create everything at every moment, or it would fall into annihilation. Yeah,
0: yeah. For me, I I think creation is the invitation to attention, hmm. and attention is paying attention is the beginning of devotion. And it's humans who exactly what you're saying, Sophia, can pray, and who are called every baptized Christian is now a priest, a baptized priest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a priest is one who sanctifies, who makes holy his world, the altar. But a baptized priest, like, our altar is creation. And I think we're civically called as laity to sanctify the world around us and to make aware again and bring attention to the divine present and everything. Not that this depends on us, but that God has, like, given us this task. Yeah. And that I think reality really moved me a few years ago when I was reading Tehard de Chardine, who really pointed this out in the Divine Milieu. I won't remember where, but if you're ever interested, it has struck me so much that whenever I'm outside walking and praying a rosary, I like to like look at each view or vista that comes before me, each tree and think like you too are called up into eternity like through this prayer. Hmm. And that God has like given me this authority in my baptismal priesthood to pay attention to this tree while I'm praying or pay attention to this pond or rabbit. And that it's like a missed opportunity to to see it as nothing, to overlook it or to like be paying attention to my
2: phone instead. Wow. That is really provocative (laughs) because what you just articulated to me is... The Christian concept of respect, of what Giussani calls virginity, of how Jesus possessed the world, the way that Jesus was in relationship with all of creation, Mm. (gasps) respect means looking twice at things, right? So not looking at them and stopping at the appearance or what they can be for us, but looking twice and seeing the connection to the creator, to the father, and therefore treating these things accordingly. And in your case with the rose, like praying in gratitude for that, yearning for a time when all of creation will be when the victory of Christ will be manifest in all of creation. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm inspired because I don't treat creation that way. I don't even treat myself that way. I was thinking as you were speaking (laughs) about like... Yeah, this awareness of the contingency of reality, right? That reality is given, it's created. It doesn't have to be. And I think I experienced this most intensely in my own life, like my awareness that I don't have to be. Hmm. I often in the past experienced this in a negative way, especially when I I struggled with depression and just various forms of self-hatred, just this awareness that a possible world existed that didn't have my presence in it Um, and not being aware of what greater value there was to a world that had me in it, right? Like, what? Mm. why am I here? But now, having encountered, you know, the one who creates me and who decided that it was a good idea for this world to have a Sophia in it, I experience this contingency in a different way, more of gratitude for this inestimable privilege, right? This gift given to me of life. And this is what most helps me have that posture you were speaking of on your rosary walks of respect, of looking twice at things, First at myself, like looking twice at myself so that I can, rather than that posture, Julie, you were talking about before of exploitation and use and control to instead have a reverence and an adoration for the mystery through an adoration for myself and the glory of God manifest in me. And this is what helps me look at other people that way. Yeah, I don't know if that resonates with you. No, definitely.
0: It strikes me like the importance of relationship, just in your own sharing of that story, like it's through the other, through another relationship. Because to me, when you share what gift am I to the world, to me, that's so obvious what gift you are to the world, what gift you are to me. And that's so often made known to ourselves through the other, like adoring Mm -hmm. and reveling Mm -hmm. in us and in creation. It must begin in like attention in relationship with creation and in respect, like what you're saying, that double look. And I think the real danger of our modern time and the technological advances that we have is that we no longer need to pay attention
2: to our reality. We're invited to be distracted. And we're so good at instrumentalizing. Yeah.
1: What strikes me in what you shared, Sophia, and what you're saying to Adriana is It goes back to our freedom. We are free in our gaze. We're free in how we respond to this reality, the vastness of the world and the fact that it would be perfectly fine without us. And yet God chose to create us from nothing. And it reminds me of a passage from one of my favorite books, The Lord, by Guardini. He's talking about a philosopher. I don't know who he's talking about, but he's talking about a philosopher who. Essentially posits that the vastness of the universe and the world is proof against Christianity because it demonstrates our basically insignificance. And he turns that on his head and says, no, that's a- exactly the opposite. The vastness of the world demonstrates God's love for man because is precisely our insignificance that makes us, as you were saying, Adriana, he doesn't need us. And yet, he stoops down to take on his nothingness himself. And in doing so, he shows that the human heart, I think he's in specifically, Guardini is reflecting on the bereaved mother who was crying and Jesus brings her son back to life. That episode in the Gospels demonstrates how the mother um, and her son were worth more to Jesus, were worth more to the creator than all of the galaxies and all the stars and the sun and the moon that he created those things and they are good and he rejoices in them but that he's a god of hearts mm-hmm. he's a god that pursues our human heart and and those miracles like that in the gospel shows that god's love for us he he bends the natural law in his love for us that's how great it is this is really powerful to me because it shows the importance of our gaze of paying attention because We could look at this in a way full of poverty, like that philosopher, and say, well, that just shows I'm nothing, and the world doesn't need me, and we could despair, because we are nothing. Or we could say, that's
2: how great I must be. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm.
1: yes. And how beautiful it is to be loved into existence and to be sustained, and yeah. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, what you're saying reminds me of Jusani in the beginning of Generating Traces, and he just opens with psalm 8 like what is man that you should care for him mortal man that you keep him in mind and he says like no question has ever struck me like this one but it's before the beginning of that psalm is like an awareness of the vastness of the world like when i look at your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars that you've established how can you care for me yeah and that's the question that that's that's what creation's like inviting It strikes me that it sounds like this philosopher came to that question, too, and that there is like a pathway in our freedom to despair or towards relationship.
2: Yeah. I see the same dynamic in neuroscience, the extraordinary complexity and beauty of the brain from one single brain cell under a microscope that I remember during my time at the National Institutes of Health when I was doing a lot of imaging work, just the way that time would fly by. Looking at these cells under electron microscopy because they would just glow with these incredible colors and textures and organization. And but even like the whole brain itself, the magnificence of the way that our embodied being takes shape with beauty. There's a way to look at this and say, like, the conclusion is nihilism. Like, therefore, this is all that there is. Everything that we see at higher levels of reality all of my desires, all of my encounters with others, my beliefs, it's all reducible to just what I see on this level of complexity. And so there is an essential step, Adriana, as you're pointing out, like we need to choose to use our freedom to say you to the one who's creating this. It's not enough to stop at the beauty of creation or the complexity of creation or the order of creation, but to be able to address directly the the mystery who is not julie to your point the mystery of creation and the mystery of redemption go together like this creator who gives us everything gives us life in every moment was not content for us not to know him with familiarity like face to face and this is why he came and this is why he raised that widow's son and so yeah for me to our episode about the church which was the last the last episode we released this is why we need the church because how else are we going to learn To recognize him and to say you to him, but through his continued presence Mm -hmm.
0: with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that moves me to just the question of like what ethics makes itself aware in the ontology of creation or like how does creation itself ask us how we ought to live before it?
2: Mm, Like in discovering this nature of being what new behavior then is like born in us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think one thing that came to mind as I was preparing for that episode is this fact of like, creation is, yes, beautiful, orderly, complex, but it's also fallen. And I really see this even in the most magnificent backpacking trips or
1: adventures
2: through the wilderness with me yeah julie and i have done a (laughs) lot of them like you still see i don't know you're like there have been moments where we have been close to freezing to death or um where we thought a bear was going to attack us or (laughs) or even like you and i would be irritated by each other or something like that you see the fallenness of creation and i'm thinking especially in the wake of hurricane ian that recently hit the united states that it's very clear that creation has not yet been led back by Christ to the hands of the Father in totality. He has won the victory, but that victory is yet to be fully realized. It's still, in a sense, enslaved to powers that that are not God. As St. Paul says, it's groaning an expectation of the glory that one day is going to be revealed. And so, to your question, Adriana, like I think our task is to participate in continuing to spread the victory of Christ in creation Mm. and so this means having that posture of respect we talked about earlier of looking twice at ourselves and at each other and at creation and so not instrumentalizing others or exploiting the material and the resources of the natural world but treating things as signs of the mystery destined for the day of Christ's glory you know when everything will show him transparently so what does that mean? Like, practically, but but yeah, opposing this culture, the throwaway culture that Pope Francis talks about, that the soil and the water and the air and species like these don't exist to serve us. Mm-hmm. And so to work against the depletion of these resources and climate change and the loss of biodiversity and also the ways that this impacts disproportionately people who are poor and vulnerable. And but it also means like, a change of heart in our culture to learn this virginity towards one another, of not exploiting one another, um, of not being indifferent to one another, but looking at one another according to our destiny. Those go hand in hand. And so I guess if I were to summarize it, what ethical behavior follows from this ontology of creation, I would say it's charity. It's love.
1: Yeah, Sophia, that's beautiful. And and that really relates to my reaction to your question, Adriana, which was that experiencing creation for me, it reminds me that everything is given, including my own life and that I will die, mm-hmm. that my life is temporary and short. And what is that an occasion for? But in addition to love and charity and pouring out myself for others, it's an occasion to humility and gratitude for what is given to me and just a simple acceptance of that every single day to wake up and realize it's all given. And I i think in addition to the throwaway culture, we have our materialistic consumer culture and I yeah. can easily start to see myself as the consumer and everything else in my life, the good that I'm entitled to, that I can use as I wish and then get rid of at when I want to. And instead, it's a fundamental flip to see it instead as given to me, a pure gift, gratuitous. And when I'm able to live that way, that changes everything. That changes how I treat others, how I treat myself, how my entire posture towards life, my posture towards death too. Um, Death is not something to be afraid of, but that too is given to us. And it's, it's a product of the brokenness of the world and of mankind. And one day there will be no more death. But before that day, all of us will have to die. And that can be scary. And, and uh, you know, I know you did an episode on, on death, Sophia, that was so helpful. But I think the proper gaze on reality rids us of this fear yeah. um, and makes us free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. I think that's critical. I think that's critical because death, too, is a step on
2: this path of returning to the way that creation is meant to be, is groaning to be.
0: Yeah, and what you were saying, Julie, I heard two really important aspects of Laudato Si that stood out for me. One, that the misuse of creation begins when we no longer recognize anything higher than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what presupposes the recognition of gift is that there must be a giver. So that is an antidote to making myself the god of creation. And then secondly, this other like beautiful instance where Pope Francis... When he says our relationship with nature, like Francis, is an invitation of how it feels when we fall in love with someone. Wow. And whenever Francis would gaze at the sun or the moon, he like burst into song and was just immediately invited into praise. And that's how we're invited to approach nature with this like attitude of one who's just fallen in love. And that so struck me because – one, that's on the desire of every single human heart. And we all hopefully have an experience of falling in love or being in love. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be romantic. It can be fraternal. We inherently recognize what a gift it is to be loved by another and to experience that love. I think also, like, when I think about the the ethics invited in creation, I'm also just, like, brought back to Genesis 1 and 2 mm-hmm. when Adam is given dominion and stewardship Over the animals and given the authority to name them and what that means as like our responsibility before creation. It just always really moves me that we're not called to be masters, yet we're given authority now and authority as God has authority as the loving father. Yeah. In Jesus lays down his life for us. We're called in some way to like make sacrifices before creation, sacrifices before the beauty that we see to preserve, to not consume and discard like nothing. I think what drew me most out of le- reading Laudato C one, there's like the tendency towards maybe despair and helplessness because it's such a global encyclical and there's yeah. so much invitation to international aid that I feel helpless before that like, I don't know how I can affect anything from Boise, Idaho, but... But I'm given dominion over my house mm-hmm. and my backyard and my family and our dog, Fritz. And, like, how can I live with this creation that has been given to me and I have dominion over? And live as like a steward of that. And how can I do that as I'm like cultivating a garden in my backyard or even see that as I'm cleaning my kitchen Mm. and creating order in like an often chaotic space of (laughs) dirty dishes and food on the floor or whatever. Um, But every time I'm cleaning to see that as like an opportunity of being a steward of creation for the Lord. So I guess those are really small, but for for me, like ways that I can bring this ethics into my everyday
2: life. That's amazing because it's very clear to me in the way that you laid out these points from Laudato Si that struck you and then your response that the temptation is either to treat creation as God, which it's not. It's a sign of the mystery. It's not the mystery of being you know, itself or to treat ourselves as God. Both of these are separating, right, sign and mystery. Like it's not treating creation according to what it is. And yet that freedom comes from acknowledging our place of continual dependence on the giver and therefore responsibility to to give back a return gift of ourself exactly in the place where he's put us. And I think this helps me also diagnose other things I see in our co- Like I think, for example, the ecological crisis is also connected to attitudes that sort of they're, they're kind of pantheist in nature. The anti-vax movement, or, for example, the movement that says it's immoral to have children because somehow nature is elevated above us. Or like the anti-GMO movement, for example, that too. Like, for me, this is pantheist because it's treating creation like it's God. But it's not God. It's been given to us by God to steward. And so an essential dimension of our relationship with the mystery is using our energy to move all things towards the good. That's what Drusani defines work as. There is a human crisis as well as an environmental crisis, and we can start from um, exactly what's in front of us.
1: I think, too, this the stewardship that God has given us over creation in Genesis, it's not just a responsibility or an obligation, but it's a privilege and it's an honor. And mm-hmm. It's a way that God works in partnership with us. It's like what we were talking about in the church episode. He doesn't need to invite us into this form of relationship with him and with his creation, but he does so because he loves us. And nowhere is this more evident to me than the experience of participating with him to bring new life into the world through pregnancy and childbirth. And I remember when I was pregnant that my mom, who had five children, and who is a devoted fan of this podcast, so (laughs) (laughs) shout out mama, (laughs) but I'll never forget this. She told me that it was almost difficult after a child is born because it's almost too intense. You feel like you're looking at the face of God. Wow. And... It almost feels like too much. Like no one can see the face of God and live, right? And so then you have to think about like diapers or, or food or something <laughs> because um, <laughs> it's it's too sacred. It's almost untouchable. And of course, there's a lot of difficult and messy parts of pregnancy and childbirth. And it requires a, lo- a lot of suffering too. But it's such an honor. It, it's so beautiful. It, God didn't need to make the world this way, right? And yet he lets us be – His partner, his partner, in such a unique way Mm. to create a new soul from nothing, a soul that will last for all eternity. And that is, I mean, the tenderness in that reality and that the attention to us, it's almost too much for words.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful, Julie. And I don't know, like you said, just like hard to hold all at once. I think in pregnancy and childbirth, I'm always just reminded that I'm a vessel. Mm. And my opportunity as a mother is to, like, surrender this great gift of my life back to God and to be a yes to him in both the act of pregnancy and then the act of childbirth when I sometimes, not in a despairing way, but I realize childbirth is like an act of separation. My child is, like, always leaving me the moment it leaves my womb. Yeah, but not leaving me for emptiness, leaving me like for the Father. That's the goal of of my motherhood, and in relationship to creation, I think just back to our calls as baptismal priests to bring everything, like all of this creation that wasn't given an eternal soul, and bring that back to the Father, and through us, like in a way, it can become eternal.
2: Wow. There is truly nothing more <laughs> extraordinary than motherhood. What helps you in. Because as someone who's not a mother, the occasions to see myself as participating in the creator's act are perhaps not quite as beautiful or clear cut. Though, Adriana, as you said, it also takes shape in the simple things like cooking a meal for someone or cleaning the house. Mm-hmm. So what helps you, Adriana, Use the phrase once on the podcast, I think on our episode about poverty, to hold your children loosely, to see them exactly as you were describing too, Julie, like as belonging to the father. Because I think this is the posture that we were talking about before. Like, this is what I want to learn towards all of creation. Yeah, this is what I want to learn towards all of creation. I think I'm
0: very educated by the church. I'm very educated by Mary. The image that comes to mind for me of holding loosely is the pieta, the image of Mary holding her dead son. And he's so much larger than her. Michelangelo makes – he's, like, not the normal human size. But you feel that way as a mother, like, that your child is more than you are. And it's such a striking – sculpture like it's it's painful to we have it right now a replica of it at the cathedral and it's across from where I sit so I see it at every mass Mm -hmm. and it to me is is like what I'm called to in motherhood of giving back my child and making a sacrifice at every single mass like when we bring up ourselves to the mass I always try to give my children and I try to reflect on like how does it feel today to do that? Like how does it feel today to give you back my children? And is it still easy? You know, it's concrete now like I have children. And I don't always have the exact same like emotional experience with it, but I find just like that daily offering to be transformative on a really slow level. And I think too in my relationship with creation It's really just, like, these daily efforts to transform my reality in small ways that I think helps me to be impactful, hopefully, on the culture at large. Yeah. And what can I do in, like, really minuscule ways for me? I mean, like, give up paper towels or no longer use plastic bags. That's so small, you know. But it helps me to be better disposed before creation and hopefully – a better witness.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. I love that, Adriana. I think Mary in the Pieta, she lived that same posture her whole life, and we see that mm-hmm. as early as the presentation in the mm-hmm. temple. I mean, her newborn son, she brings him to the temple, and and offering him back to God. and Yeah, and it's called a joyful mystery. (laughs) Exactly. And also, (laughs) she was told a sword will pierce your own heart right at the beginning of his life. And she was able to stay knowing that there would be that sword, not knowing when it would come or what it would look like. And so, yeah, I think that there's this model proposed to us for our relationship with children, most obviously, but everything in our lives, our spouses, our vocations, our work, the world. And the church proposes this. Jesus and the Holy Family propose this to us. And then my experience has been coming up against my own limitations and verifying that the only way to freedom and joy is through surrender. And so, I mean, right from the start when we wanted a child, God didn't give us a child right away. Right from the beginning of my motherhood, I – had this reminder, which I very much need, given my personality, that it's given. It's not mine and it's not mine to control or generate. And then after Elena was born, I had Sophia was there. I had great difficulty feeding her again, like another one of my limitations. And I was miserable until I was able to just hold on to the presentation in the temple and try to live that every single day. That Mm. finally freed me Mm. from my anxiety and the heaviness that I felt and the darkness that I felt, that freed me. And so now I'm tempted every single day back to that posture of control and what's the word? Like manipulation. But I'm able to – I don't know. It's just like everything. I verified that the proposal was true and that's what keeps me faithful today and and keeps me coming back every time I fall. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I'm so grateful for your <laughs> friendship.
2: <laughs> and for the podcast because, wow, I really – need to ponder those words, so glad they're recorded. Um I'm really grateful for, for what you both shared. I think there's a lot in there for me to learn. I'm reminded of a a line from Peggy. I was reading some of his poetry last week and or no, a couple weeks ago on the Feast of St. Louis. <laughs> And Piggy is talking about God's love for Frenchmen in general and St. Louis in particular. But the line that came to mind was uh, he's talking about how like the power and glory of God blazes forth in everything, in every substance and event and like each grain of sand on the seashore. And the fact that human beings exist, all of this shows God's glory. This isn't up for debate. But he says, like, infinitely greater than that glory is the glory that is given to God by the freedom of the human person, by the liberty of the human person when she uses this to kneel before God and pray. And to both your points, like, I think I see this most clearly in Mary, right, that the glory of God is in because she was sinless, but she had freedom. She chose at every moment of her being by this singular grace that was given to her to affirm God. And I see this in both of you in your in your maternity, choosing to use your freedom to affirm Him. The glory that comes from that is such a gift to me and to your families and to everyone in your community. And this is what it means that the human person is the pinnacle of creation. This is something that makes me care more for the environment, not less. Like... Yeah, because that is the most glorious expression of the identity of the human person, is to kneel before God and pray, is that posture of the of the presentation.
0: Yeah, thank you, Sophia, what you say about Peggy. I think that is a really beautiful stopping point for today, to just marvel at creation and recognize the splendor of God made present to us. I just want to say I really appreciated our conversation today and I'm really grateful, as always, to the Center for Ethics and Culture for providing us, like, such a provocative topic as they do in the fall conference to ponder and marvel and, like, know God better through. Yeah. And I feel like I'd be remiss, Sophia, I don't know if you were going to say anything, to not mention the podcast episode you did with Day Nicholas, Center for Ethics and Culture. It's on – Their podcast called Ethics and Culture Cast, and the episode is titled with your name, so it's very easy to find, but we'll also link it in our show notes. I listened to it with my whole family when Damien and I were in Alaska in the car. It was really beautiful and such an occasion for joy for my mom, my dad, for Damien, for sure, (laughs) and me.
2: Thank you. Do uh, either of you have a media recommendation for today? I do. I do. Before I forget, I first wanted to do our first ever like formal podcast shout out because I was recently in Florida and had the privilege of meeting some podcast listeners who are beautiful human beings. Jade in particular, I met at School of Community and promised her that I would shout out her on the podcast next time we recorded. So Jade, this one's for you. But for all of our listeners, I have a media recommendation. I would invite you all to listen to Morton Lauridsen's Lux Eterna, which is actually a requiem um, in line with our reflections on Our Lady, but is a beautiful choral work, provocative because I would encourage you to look at the lyrics as well when you listen to it. But Because it shows that the origin and destiny of all things, of all of creation, is in the embrace of the Father. And so as you were pointing out, Adriana, the truest human action becomes offering, offering of our life and begging for this existence to continue and to be brought to its truth. It's just a stunning choral work. So I would invite, yeah, all of our listeners to listen to that. What about a monthly challenge? Yeah, I have a
0: monthly challenge idea, and it's to just consider one way in which you can practice good stewardship and dominion in your own environment. And in thinking of this, I just thought of like some examples, like cultivating a garden or growing a house plant from seed or a start if you don't have the opportunity for a garden. Um, even just like cleaning and organizing your workspace. Mm. And that can help you like take account of what you have so you're not over purchasing. Also thought of like buying only secondhand clothes or even downsizing your closet. The options are endless.
2: One definitely suited for each particular situation in which we find ourselves. So, perfect. Yeah.
1: Thank you all so much for joining us. It is always a joy. Uh, If you want to reach out to us, you can find us at pilgrimsoulpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website. We have an Instagram. We would love to hear from you. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review. It helps people find us and share with a friend. Uh, know of our prayers for you and please pray for us too Amen. and we'll be back with you next month
2: thanks everyone